Hello and welcome to Going Viral. I am David Lim. It is Tuesday, the 1st of September. In today's podcast, Professor Andrew Lloyd will take us through the assessment and management of post-COVID patients who present to their GPs with fatigue. The latest global and local COVID-19 statistics will follow the interview. Before we start, I'd like to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can listen to these podcasts on the HealthEd website, or you can download the HealthEd app and access many other learning resources as well. Uh, in today's podcast, I will be speaking with Professor Andrew Lloyd. Uh, Andrew, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity to chat. I am an infectious diseases physician based at the Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney and also in the Kirby Institute at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Andrew, I believe you have an interest in chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah, perhaps more accurately, I would suggest my interest is in the sequelae, the complications which sometimes arise from acute infectious diseases mm -hmm. and one of those is post-viral fatigue and mm -hmm. that merges somewhat imperceptibly with the broader notion of, of chronic fatigue syndrome. Thank you very much. Now, a recent and small survey of Australian GPs uh, done by HealthAd uh, showed that's about 500 GPs actually, showed that 10% of GPs in Australia have seen post-COVID patients, 11% uh, in New South Wales and 21% of GPs in Victoria. They've seen at least one COVID patient. The most frequently described clinical feature is fatigue and that was reported in 36% of the patients. So the question is, what can you tell us about the fatigue related to COVID-19? Thanks so much. Very interesting data. Um, it's, it, to be honest, it's quite consistent with the preliminary reports that are coming in internationally. There's an Irish study, for instance, which I think suggested that about two to three months post-COVID, um, I think a bit more than 36%, it was closer to 50% of patients were reporting, let's call it problematic fatigue. So, mm -hmm. so the the data are consistent. So I think the next thing to say though against that backdrop is that, as I'm sure the audience will know, fatigue is a very common symptom complaint mm -hmm. in general practice. And so I think we need to be careful in how we think about, let's call it post-COVID fatigue. Mm -hmm. And so what, one approach for the clinician to think about how to deal with this, first of all, in a, in a broad framework sense, would be to say, I think the possibilities of why a patient might be complaining of bad fatigue, let's say a couple of months down the track from a COVID infection, 
it might be first of all that they're in that fortunately relatively rare subset who were severely affected by COVID, hospitalized, mm-hmm. even potentially in intensive care, but have fortunately come out the far end and survived. Right. In that group, the key concern, I think, is that the fatigue might be a manifestation of, let's call it end organ injury, that mm-hmm. might have arisen during that severe illness. And that, that in particular would be heart, lung or brain injury. And so, so we need to put that right up there as a, as a key concern. The second broad framework notion would be that this is a pandemic and it's continually in the face both of patients and doctors on the news every night, etc. Yep. Et so that, that portrays a circumstance which I would call psychosocially very distressing. And that in turn <laughs> definitely ups the ante for some of those psychosocial determinants of health. Mm. So in particular, to think about depression, anxiety, and other mood disorders as a potential underpinning of the symptom complaint. And then finally, it's quite possible that like many other viral infections, say for instance, glandular fever or influenza, that COVID is a trigger for a post-viral fatigue syndrome. So they're the broad domains that we should consider when we meet the patient with, in inverted commas, post-COVID fatigue. In a general practice setting, I'm going to put a few scenarios in front of you. Let's just say somebody comes up to the gym for the first visit and says, look, I had been diagnosed with COVID-19, not hospitalized, not ventilated, but I'm really tired. How would How should a GP proceed from that? Yeah, great question. I think it's hard to go past the the usual premise of uh, red flags in the in mm-hmm. your assessment. And those red flags might come out of the history, they might come out of the examination, or they go a little bit downstream. Perhaps might come out of some straightforward uh, first round investigation. So, in the history, thinking mm-hmm. about the broad framework I've already alluded to. It may well be that um, the complaint of tiredness really is actually dyspnea on exertion and it reflects a cardiac injury for in, or, a, or a pulmonary injury. Right. And so, so we do need to be careful to understand what the patient is really describing when they talk about tiredness or fatigue. Mm-hmm. If it is dyspnea, then that's an important clue. Or, for instance, it might be the patient's become sedentary and at home during the COVID epidemic they've put on a bit of weight. Sleep apnea is the potential uh, underpinning. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and somnolence or sleepiness is really what's being described. And then finally, thinking again about that broad framework of the psychosocial determinants of health, if the word really is that it's a loss of interest and pleasure and motivation, that really is an important clue that a mood disorder may be the underpinning. And then flipping it around to the the more traditional post-viral fatigue context, the key clue on the history there is that all post-viral fatigue syndromes, regardless of which particular infection are the trigger, they have this characteristic feature where 
either after physical activity or after cognitive activity, generally a relatively limited degree, there's this prolonged exacerbation. So the fatigue after a walk around the block gets much worse and it stays that way for hours or even the rest of the day. And the same sort of thing cognitively. So that's what's sometimes called a post-activity or post-exertional exacerbation. So each one of those things in the history starts to point us to where out of the framework we should be headed. And then when we think about the examination, really right up top of the list is that anxiety about end organ damage. And so we're really looking for clues for cardiac failure, for respiratory compromise, Mm -hmm. for neurological deficit. And if they're all negative, if if the examination's pretty normal, then we're starting to think, okay, have I... I guess along the way we might make sure there's no anemia that was otherwise unsuspected. Mm-hmm. But then we're starting to think about the psychological possibilities or we're starting to think about post-viral fatigue. The physical examination should be completely unremarkable. And then finally we might embark in that setting, especially if the fatigue it's been there for already a month or two and the, it's pretty bad and it's just the patient's distressed, then it's not too bad to have a low threshold for a pretty simple list of investigations. And I'd nominate a blood count, perhaps a C-reactive protein, mm-hmm. some kidney and liver function tests as the starting point. And if they all look okay, then really the ante is getting up for either psychological disorder or post-viral fatigue. Mm-hmm. I think we just throw in a thyroid function test in that. Yes, a, a TSA should be good for thyroid function, agree mm-hmm. entirely. Any role for iron study? Probably not in the first instance, and I say that okay. especially because many of the elements of uh, so-called iron studies, like ferritin, for instance, they're mm. a phase reactant, mm-hmm. and so just a recent acute infection might put them out of kilter. So that's a good start. Where, do, where to from here? Yeah, so if we work on the assumption, let's say, that it will, I guess, maybe walking back down that list, if there are any clues that say, yep, this person might have a significant end organ injury, Mm -hmm. then really it's probably pretty quickly either further more sophisticated investigation, lung function tests or Mm. ECG, cardiac function, or refer Mm. on to specialist or both. If If the bloods are all okay and there are no clues to make us more suspicious of an underlying medical condition and we're really thinking either mood disturbance, for instance, or post-viral fatigue, then the starting point in the management planning, because I think it is important to give give some care here, Mm -hmm. the starting point in the management plan starts in some ways overlapping. So if there are any clues to, let's say, significant anxiety, significant depression, perhaps sleep disturbance, each one of those should be managed on their merits. And that's mm-hmm. regardless of whether we feel the ultimate diagnosis might be post-COVID fatigue. And so for the, for the mood disorder things, it may well be that it's talking type therapy, cognitive behavioural therapy, or it even might be to think about medication mm-hmm. and to think about good sleep hygiene for the, for the sleep uh, disturbance. And then to think about post-viral fatigue, especially if the clues are really there that there is that post-activity exacerbation and the investigations Mm -hmm. are normal, 
really then the fundamentals of management are do those same things about mood disorder and sleep disorder, mm-hmm. but the focus is really on what we would call activity pacing. That is understanding, let's call it the thresholds of physical or cognitive activity after which a prolonged exacerbation will follow. Mm-hmm. You can find it's an hour or more of bad fatigue. And generally, we advise patients to work in or around those thresholds. So if a walk around the block is okay, but a walk to the shops, which is a kilometre, is too much, right. we say, well, okay, just, just keep the sessions pretty short. Don't overdo it and trigger repeated episodes of bad fatigue. Mm-hmm. And the same kind of notion cognitively, if you're trying to do your tax return, which you should have done last year, but you really <laughs> want to get onto it, now yep. that you're in downtime in the epidemic, you really don't want to push on as though your brain will work just like normal. You might want to do short sessions of 20 minutes, let's say. So that's pacing of activities. And then the, the, the next element after that is often a graduated, so a very slow build-up of capacity, both physically and cognitively. And all of that sits on a backdrop that all of the evidence from other conditions suggests that the great majority of that, let's call it 30% of people who are two or three months after COVID have got fatigue, the great majority of them are going to be better over the next couple of months. So you can provide good reassurance to the patient that in general, if that's the diagnosis, the natural history is resolution, and they just need good supportive care along the way. Do you have any numbers of people feeling better in over what period? Yeah, we know from other, we don't know as yet out of COVID, but we do know from the other post-infective or post-viral settings, the case rate for really problematic fatigue, let's say two or three months out, is typically about 30%. By six months, it'll be 10%. And by 12 months, it'll be 5%. So it's a bit prolonged, but it's not too bad. And it's helpful for us to know that. Agreed. And for the patient, similarly. If you are already suspecting that they might have it because examinations normal, bloods are normal, yeah, a bit of bit of mental distress but not grossly depressed, what are really helpful things to say to a patient who may well have this virus related fatigue? And what are unhelpful things to say first up? I think helpful things to say are that we recognise it, we acknowledge that even though there's nothing to find on the blood test or on the examination, that mm-hmm. this, is, this is a valid condition mm-hmm. and that it, that it can be quite disabling. You know, it can, very be, it can be very limiting. Mm-hmm. So acknowledging that's a first, good first step. Secondly, we can say that we know from other closely comparable post-viral settings that that natural history is generally very much of resolution Mm -hmm. and that there are things that we want to get in order, um, like making sure mood's looked after, making sure sleep's looked after, Mm -hmm. trying to pace activities, build them up slowly over time. If we can do all of those things, we've got very strong expectations that all will be well. On the downside, even though... A lot of general practitioners find fatigue pretty tough to deal with, or especially post-viral fatigue. 
it's very unhelpful not to acknowledge the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. You say, oh, look, just snap out of it. I'm sure it's because you had a bad time, but, you know, you'll be fine. Get over it. Go to the gym and exercise like crazy. That that is just very unhelpful advice. Mm -hmm. But just more, more good holistic care is really what's in order. That's really, really important for us to know that. What should GPs be monitoring as we see the patients over the month? Again, what tests do we need to do and are there any particularly red flags? So if we look now at the more longitudinal course, let's say we've got a patient who's got post-viral fatigue following COVID infection. We've, like you were flagging, we've, we've worked out that mood disorder is not too problematic, just needs to be looked after a bit. Their sleep routine's not too bad. The key red flag here is after that is firstly, the expectation, like I was suggesting, is of improvement over time. And so it's helpful to plot, to understand the trajectory. What, what is the illness course? So if, you know, if the onset, the first consultation was in March and then we follow up in April, and things look about the same, and then in May they're still about the same and they're still unable to get around the block, not mm-hmm. able to do brain work. So, mm-hmm. so a lack of progress is a red flag. Right. In that sort of broad timeline, it's kind of the month-by-month routine. And as a minimum, if once it's getting out to many months post, of the original infection, we do want to make sure we we want to revisit that notion. Are we missing something here? Is there a is there a medical condition I should have thought of? So revisit the history, the examination, maybe redo the blood that we've already spoken about. And if they all stay the same, and especially if we're getting towards six months post COVID and the and the fatigue state is bad, that's the time to refer on for more specialist care. That's very clear. Thank you very much. Question. What about the role of alcohol? Should they abstain from it? Um, I think there are no evidence that alcohol is a risk, uh, Mm -hmm. either for initiation or for exacerbation. It is true, though, that in the context of the COVID epidemic, uh, uh, Australians, like everywhere else across the world, I think alcohol consumption's gone up. Yep. So we want, to, we want to advise patients to avoid hazardous alcohol intake levels, mm-hmm. especially if it's a surrogate for mood disorder management. And in addition, there is a, it's more anecdotal than evidence-based, but it is true that quite a lot of patients with post-viral fatigue do report apparent sensitivity to alcohol, meaning that a small amount of alcohol seems to trigger more prominent exacerbation of symptoms. I I, I generally don't encourage my patients to be abstinent Mm -hmm. if they like having a glass of wine. But if they've noticed, they report to me, oh, look, whenever I drink a glass of wine, my symptoms seem to get a bit worse, either that day or the next day. I say, oh, we recognise that happens sometimes, I reckon you should cut back or stop for a bit. Are any supplements helpful? Sadly, I'd love to say there's an evidence base for a mineral, a vitamin, a diet, some nutritional supplement. Uh, I can tell you with great confidence from the chronic fatigue syndrome and the post-viral fatigue syndrome, scientific literature, no evidence for a single one. Sounds like a 
good old-fashioned tender loving care and patience. Correct. Correct. You're right on to it. That's it. Andrew, what are the messages that you would you like to give to GPs who will manage uh, patients who have had the diagnosis of COVID, whether to be real, viral, fatigue or not? What message can you give to GPs out there? The first one, I think, to, to, to the key messages would be to keep, uh, in the first consultation, you definitely want to keep that broad brush framework in mind. Mm. Could it be an end organ injury? Mm. Is, this a, is this a mental health condition? Am I missing something else medical? Is it typical post-viral fatigue? Yep. So that, that's the sort of diagnostic message. And then in the more further assessment message, we've worked, we've, we've flagged, we've, we've identified all the red flags. And then especially if we're thinking post-viral fatigue, absolutely key to acknowledge and accept the validity of that diagnosis with the patient and to proactively say to the patient, we recognize this is a problem. We don't completely understand yet why and how it happens. We do know that good supportive care is very helpful, and I'm going to provide that for you. Very sound advice. That was a really, really helpful way of walking through it, Andrew. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. Happy to help. From the John Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Centre, we find that the global COVID-19 cases is nearing 25.4 million. The USA has recorded another grim milestone with more than 6 million cases, Brazil more than 3.9 million, India more than 3.6 million, Russia nearly 992,000, South Africa more than 627,000 and Peru with more than 647,000 cases. Global COVID-19 deaths is recorded at 849,031. The USA recorded more than 183,500 deaths, Brazil more than 121,000, Mexico more than 64,000, India more than 61,500 and the UK with nearly 41,600 deaths. In Australia, we have 25,648 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 659 deaths. In the past day, Victoria recorded 70 new cases of COVID-19, the lowest since the 28th of June. Five deaths were recorded. There are still 432 patients in hospital, eight are in the ICU and 13 are being ventilated. It is possible we may see the end of double-digit daily deaths in Victoria within days. New South Wales has reported 13 new cases, four are locally acquired of a known source, six are returned travellers in hotel quarantine and three cases are under investigation. We must keep our guard up and encourage our patients to keep safe. There is without a doubt cases of undetected COVID-19 in our community. A slightly worrying trend is that we see a fall in the number of tests performed daily and a small but perceptible increase in new cases detected. Queensland has reported one new case of COVID-19 in the past day 
and it is good to note the sharp increase in the daily numbers tested and the low number of new cases detected. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free. You get CPD points and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.